Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and let's get back to those cases, and let's do another series of cases. This was an interesting patient, had a history of depression, anxiety, then had a nuclear stress test based on uh, the patient's chest pain. And again, it was felt to probably be negative. They thought everything was the patient themselves. The patient was very adamant about being getting further testing. She wanted an angio. They decided to do a cardiac CT. And look at the images. Well, what do you notice? Look at the patient's right coronary. You see the right coronary? Okay, normal location. But what's that vessel coming from right to left? Very nicely shown on these additional images, right? And then you can see the vessel comes over and then it trifurcates. And here's another look at that vessel. And here's another look at that vessel in 3D. And here we'll show you the vessel as we scroll through the individual data sets. And so you can see very nicely that the patient has an anomaly of the coronary arteries. And so I asked you what was the best diagnosis? Is it the right coronary off the left main, the left arising off the right cusp, the left main arising off the proximal right coronary, or a fistula? Well, we know it can't be a fistula because one of my last cases was a fistula, and I would never show you two cases in a row with the same answer. And you can see when you analyze the data set carefully, the left main coronary artery is arising off the proximal right coronary. You can see it tracking from right to left, very nicely shown on the curved planars and on the 3D images and on the 4D. Okay, so that's the answer, the left main coronary arising off the proximal right. And here it is with a very nice schematic diagram. So let me ask you a few questions about it. What is its course? There are typically four courses when you have anomalous coronary vessels. Which one is it? Well, you can see it's going between the pulmonary artery and ascending aorta. That's the classic interarterial course. And that's the course that's considered malignant. The left main coronary artery arises from the sinus of El Salva, right, or is a common trunk from the RCA. In a very small percent of patients, and in 75% of these patients, it has an interarterial course. Okay, and you could see there are a number of different pathways when the left comes off the right, but the one that's critical in terms of the patient's morbidity and mortality is this interarterial course. And the transeptal course and prepulmonic course and retroarterial courses are considered benign courses. Okay? Interarterial course is clinically significant, referred to as a malignant anomaly, potentially lethal, and can lead to sudden death. So again, uh, is a good article by Sudaram. And here's just some of the key points. Malignant versus benign, interarterial. That's the critical one. Now this case, the anomaly was so impressive, uh, no one knew exactly what to do. Should you operate? And typically with interarterial courses, you will indeed operate. But in this patient, because of the course, People were concerned about operating and thought the risk-reward was too high and the patient is being treated conservatively. Very difficult case. Typically, interarterial course is repaired surgically. Let me just show you a few other examples. Here's a nice case of a right coronary arising off a left cusp, kind of the opposite of the last case. But look at this, the same location between the ascending aorta, main pulmonary artery. I'll show it to you in a few different views. Here it is, you can see as we scroll through the data set very nicely, and here's the schematic. So again, there are a number of anomalies that are interarterial. Very, very important 
because that can lead to sudden death. And we see younger patients with chest pain, and that is one of the considerations. Okay, very important. Another case, a patient with a typical chest pain, cardiac CT was ordered, and the question, the reason for ordering wasn't stenosis, but it was the possibility of a coronary artery anomaly. And so we look, and look at these images. What do you see here? The first thing is look at the pulmonary artery. What's coming off the pulmonary artery? And we look at it in 4D. You can see as we move through the data sets, and as you analyze the images more, the left coronary is coming off the main pulmonary artery. And here it is in 3D, and what you also see is there's a large right coronary. So what does that mean? Well, what's the best diagnosis? Is it an aneurysm, a fistula, anomalous left coronary, or pulmonary hypertension? Well, when you look at the images, you can see the left is coming off, the left main is coming off the pulmonary artery. And that is not where it's supposed to be coming from, so we'll call it an anomalous origin of the left coronary. And then I ask you, okay, that's a global view, it's an anomalous origin, what is the specific anomalous origin? And as you can see from the four choices, it's obviously the left anterior descending coming off the uh, pulmonary artery, nicely shown across the range of images. And there's actually a syndrome when the pulmonary artery gives rise to the coronary, and that's the ALKAPA, anomalous origin of the left coronary from the pulmonary, can occur in children or adults. In children, it's said that 90% experience a myocardial infarction and die within the first year of life. Because what happens is, as the pulmonary artery pressure drops after birth, there's decreased flow to the LV myocardium. This leads to congestive failure and mitral insufficiency, secondary to infarction, and patients die within weeks of birth. If you survive into your 20s like this patient, you need substantial and significant circulation from the right to the left circulation, and flow to the left coronary artery is often insufficient, and these patients develop arrhythmias, which can lead to sudden death. So with this Alcapa syndrome, the left coronary arises from the left inferior lateral aspect of the main pulmonary artery. Secondary findings, right coronary, left in part, may be dilated and tortuous. You may see intercoronary collaterals and LV hypertrophy or dilatation. A good article by Penna talking about this, very important. And this also brings, I showed you a couple of cases of anomalies now, and you have to figure out a way to thinking about anomalies. So a practical approach, think about the origin, the course, or the termination. So origin might be this thing where the anomalous origin of the pulmonary artery is giving rise to the left coronary. Just a very nice example. And in this case, the outcome was typical. The patient underwent surgery. So that's a very, very important way of doing things. Okay? All right, next case. 70, a 44-year-old male, a typical chest pain. Cardiac CT was ordered. And look at these images. Look at the LAD. What about the LAD? And I'm showing you a few different presentations. And then I'm going to show it to you with 3D. And look how the LAD seems to be embedded in muscle. And that is exactly what's happening. It's embedded. And so when I ask you the question, what's the most likely diagnosis, you don't see a stenosis. You don't see spasm. What you're seeing is what's considered myocardial bridging. Very nice example of myocardial bridging. The LAD is going through the patient's 
myocardium through the left ventricular wall. Just a beautiful example. So that's the answer. So then I'll ask you a few questions. What is myocardial bridging? Well, it's an epicardial segment of a coronary artery that courses through the myocardium, and it's a congenital anomaly. It's considered a non-atherosclerotic anatomic abnormality of the coronary arteries. Um, there's lots of controversy whether or not this causes symptoms. Many people say it's incidental. Some people say perhaps the coronary proximal to the uh, bridge gets problems, it gets increased calcifications, gets stenosis. So it's still something that's being discussed. And then if I ask you the question, what's the vessel that's most commonly associated with myocardial bridging? And the answer amongst the four choices is the LAD. And just some more facts. Up to 2.5% of angio studies, LAD mid-segment is the most common. Symptoms can begin in the third decade. And then people talk about where and the length, where the bridge is, the length of the bridge, the depth of the bridge. So again, those are things that are being looked at. And here's just some nice schematic diagrams showing you bridging and showing you relative to the normal LAD, which is seen within the fat outside the myocardium. In this article by Cantarchi, 3.5% of bridges were detected. And you can see that the length was 6 to 22 millimeters with a mean of 17 and a depth mean of 2.5. And this article by Jacobs had a prevalence of 10.4%. So again, it's something that you will see not uncommonly when you're doing cardiac CT. Typically, I describe it, but it's not of clinical importance. And in the scheme of things, myocardial bridging is considered one of the anomalies, of course. And again, there's been articles about this, as I mentioned. Here's one Harazol on a couple of years back. And the CT is an effective non-invasive tool for looking at the diagnosis of myocardial bridging because it can show the length and depth of the tunnel segment. Uh, here's an article by Zena. Bridging predisposes development of atherosclerosis in the coronary artery segment proximal to the bridge. This may indicate that myocardial bridge should be considered an anatomic risk factor in the evaluation of coronary artery disease, and that indeed is a good point. In terms of what the management was, that was the only finding. Uh, no one is doing anything about bridging. Patients are monitored carefully by the cardiologist. Patient's been back since then. Patient has done fine. Okay, very important. All right, let me ask you a few easy things. I'm going to talk about anatomy. So I'm going to point to a vessel and ask you what that vessel is. Well, it's a vessel coming off the right coronary. What is that vessel? And I'm giving you four choices. And you can see it's a classic location and description for the SA nodal branch. Okay, SA nodal branch is another example. Beautiful vessel coming off the proximal right coronary artery, and then tracking posteriorly. So let me ask you another question. I'll give you another vessel. What's this vessel? See a vessel off the circ, and it's tracking posterior to the aorta, coming over to the right side. What is that vessel? And I'm giving you a few choices as well. And you know, the answer is that's an SA nodal branch as well. So you see the SA nodal branch can arise off the right coronary, most commonly, but it also can arise off the circumflex. And in fact, at times I've seen it confused with an anomalous right coronary in a non-malignant pathway. But again, a very, very nice example. And here's a good article by Petschkovich, 
The SA nodal artery was most frequently a large branch of the right coronary in 63%, 37%. It was a branch of the left coronary or one of its branches. So again, something important to recognize. Another case. Patients undergoing a coronary CTA for chest pain, and what's the best diagnosis? Well, the thing I'm asking you is, what is that in the left atrial appendix? Thrombus? Is it tumor? What exactly is going on? And in fact, those are the choices. Well, it could be an atrial thrombus, but the thing about it is, look at that flat line when you go back. And so this is really a pseudothrombus, and I'm showing this case because it's a great mimicker, and I also tell you when I took the boards, the, the cardiac boards, they must have asked 10 questions about this. But again, in every place in the body, when we see a flat line, a fluid fluid level, you always think about the potential for clot or hemorrhage or something. You're never thinking thrombus, because thrombuses tend to be irregular. So just a beautiful example of a pseudoclot. Now, if you have a clot, here's an example with a clot centrally located. That's a clot in the atrial appendage. And that patient even had an infarct in the kidney. Or this case, look at that big filling defect. It's not that nice uh, meniscus or fluid level. That's a classic thrombus. And again, CT is very good. There was an article by her, and their results were comparing to TEE and found CT to be about 100% accurate. Now, an important thing in this article is what they did is they always went back 30 seconds later and got a limited CT through the left atrial appendage. And that way, they avoided all of these pseudo-filling defects. So again, if you're scanning and you're there and you have a question, just go back and get a few limited slices, and then you're definitive in your diagnosis. And you can see in this article, they waited 30 seconds extra, and that's really all you need. You wait 50 seconds, it's fine too. You don't want to wait 10 seconds, okay? Another case. This is a 40-ish old male, chest pain, they did a triple rule out. And I'm showing this case because as we do triple rule outs, what are we looking for? Dissection, pulmonary embolism, coronary artery disease, but there are other things. In this case, look at the patient's left atrium. There's a filling defect. Could it be a thrombus? But it's a great location for a tumor, not a thrombus. Here it is very nicely shown, reverse display and coronal display. And I ask you what this can be. Thrombus, myxoma, metastasis, sarcoma. It's a terrific location for an atrial myxoma. Now, primary cardiac tumors are rare, and most of them are going to be metastatic, but we can see a number of benign lesions. Myxoma is the top of our list. When you think about malignant lesions, metastasis is the top of your list. Everything, everything is rare, but the rest of them are particularly rare. Atrial myxoma, however, is very classic. Most common benign tumor of the heart, 50% of benign cardiac tumors, average age of 50, range of presentations from arrhythmias to embolization to constitutional symptoms. Key thing is location near the fossa ovalis, and three-quarters of them are in the left atrium. And again, there's been a nice article by Linda Chewett Hopkins talking about cardiac masses because as we do more and more cardiac CT, as the scanners get faster, you are going to pick up these masses incidentally. So you need to know precisely what they are. Okay, another case. And this may be the last case for us today. HIV patient, chest pain, looking for stenosis or occlusion. You look quickly on the axials. You see a vessel anterior to the aorta. What is that? Is that the right coronary? It's going to the LV. Must be a branch of the LV, but 
I guess weird. There's two LVs here. Rather, there's two uh, coronaries to the LV. So look at this. Look at the 3D. This is a great example of where 3D works so well. There's a vessel going from right to left over the surface of the heart to the left ventricle. And that's the left coronary artery. And look at it in the 4D. I'll show you the motion. You can see as we go through this very nicely. So I'll ask you the question, what's the best answer? Well, when you look at all the choices, it's a very unusual case. You actually have dual left anterior descending coronary arteries. There's a number of variations of this. The majority of cases had both vessels arising from the LAD, while other courses were from the LAD arising off the right coronary, which is the case here. Beautiful example. And here again is the uh, 4D or motion study showing that. Good article, goes through details of the uh, different classifications of the dual LAD. And when you have some time, it's worthwhile looking carefully and reading this article by Ella Kazaruni. Very, very nice article on dual left anterior descending coronary arteries. So with that, I've shown you a number of cases. If you were at RSNA, hopefully you got them all right. If you weren't at RSNA, hopefully you're home and you got them all right. If not, hopefully this helps you think about what we're doing. And hopefully you found this very helpful. And with that, have a great day.